when Brother Aaron announced his text, I said in my outside voice, don't you dare. Having said that, find Philippians chapter 3. <laughs> I regret that I'm not going to be able to stay for tonight's service. Um, I have to get back. My wife has to be at work tomorrow. And I have to be at work tomorrow. So we need to, uh, we need to get back. But I do want to say, uh, uh, Brother Kevin and, and to Charity Baptist Church, thank you for, again, being gracious hosts to us and uh, just thankful for your ministry to us. I said last year that I wanted... Wanted my wife to be able to come with me this year because I wanted her to, <laughs> to be around Charity Baptist. Amen. I wanted her to be around these people and see how a church can be so welcoming and so warm and, and loving. And uh, you did not disappoint <laughs> this year. And I hate to have to leave, but I have to. Uh, Work for BASF there in Chattanooga, and um, some people call it the glue factory. I call it latex hell, <laughs> and I call it that for two reasons. It's hot, <laughs> and I don't want to be there, but uh, the Lord has seen fit to provide for us uh, in this time while I'm not pastoring there, but... Enough of all of that. Philippians chapter 3. Before I read the text, I read a book several years ago. And uh, um, in the front, instead of having the preface, the author put front matter. <laughs> front matter. Uh, he dealt with some things in the book. He laid some groundwork before he did anything else. So if you'll give me just a minute, I, I, I want to deal with some front matter uh, in this text. We're going to read some things that it might sound like... Paul is not exactly sure of his participation in the resurrection of the dead. I, I want to clear your mind of that. He has already said in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 that he who has begun a good work in you shall perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. He, he's talked about being found in Christ, having his righteousness and not his own. He's looking forward when he says that. He is going to say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He is not unsure of his salvation, nor is he unsure of his participation in the resurrection. That's one matter. There's another matter is that Paul is going to get to a place where he says, this one thing I do. I'm still thinking about those one thing statements. But before he says that, he talks about a whole bunch of other stuff that he's doing. So I'm like, what is it, Paul? How can there be so many things and you say one thing? 
He's talking about forsaking everything for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He's talking about being found in him, not having his own righteousness, but the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, what is the one thing? And the, is it this? Is it that? Is it? And the answer is yes. It's all a part of the one thing. There seems to be a lot of things to his one thing. I think what he's telling us is that his life and his ministry are all done with a view to the resurrection of the dead. He talks about apprehending that for which he was apprehended. And he was apprehended, we know, for service to God. He was on his way to Damascus with arrest warrants in his pockets when he ran up on a checkpoint in the road and got knocked off his high horse, as some have said. And the Lord said, he's a chosen vessel. He said to the one that was to go and meet Saul of Tarsus, he said, show him the things that he must suffer. For my sake, all of his life and his ministry, everything about him was with an eye to a new creation, which finds its culmination at the resurrection. He is inviting us to a single pursuit of Christ with an eye towards meeting him one day. Having said that, will you begin reading with me in Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. To what end? That I may know him, <laughs> and the power of his resurrection, and... The fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death. Can I take a side road for just a second? We would all agree that we would love to know him and the power of his resurrection. We would all say, yes, I want that for my life. Yes, I want that in my ministry. But I'm afraid we back off when we figure out how we get that. You can't know the power of his resurrection without knowing the fellowship of his suffering and being made conformable unto his death. A lot fewer of us are interested in the fellowship of his suffering and being made conformable to his death than are interested in knowing the power of his resurrection. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend 
that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. And here he talks about a bunch of things again. (laughs) This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind And reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Thank you for reading with me. We're going to pray and I want to talk to you for a few minutes on a single pursuit. A single pursuit, will you pray? Lord, thank you for all of the truth we have heard here this week. Lord, thank you for the songs that we have heard. And for the singers who have sang your praises in the spirit in which they do so. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I try to preach. Lord, we pray for the meeting tonight. And Brother Ronald, I would love to stay in here, my brother. Lord, I ask in advance that you would put your hand on him again and anoint him to preach your word as he stands to, to preach your word tonight. Lord, help us to live our lives And to join the Apostle Paul in this single pursuit. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Seems that multitasking is considered to be a virtue. If you don't believe me, go look on some of the internet job boards and you will find that it is a desired quality on some jobs. You'll find that it is a requirement in a lot of jobs. It will say something like this must be able to multitask, must be a multitasker. The value of multitasking, I hear it sometimes as women are poking fun of men, saying that men can't multitask. I beg to differ. I can... (laughs) I can binge watch episodes of Tales of Wells Fargo and the Texan while eating a half a pound of mixed nuts while at the same time texting my bro in Silk Hope, North Carolina. I can multitask. I heard about a lady who stayed on her husband about his inability to do more than one thing at a time. And after months of badgering, He finally got fed up and he offered three directives of his own. He said, sit down, be quiet, and leave me alone. And as it turns out, she couldn't multitask either. While multitasking in the secular realm is a desired quality, a virtue, I believe an argument that can be, can be made that spiritually speaking, multitasking may be a vice. The Apostle Paul is inviting us to join him in a life 
focused on a single pursuit. The Apostle Paul wants us to live every day in light of Resurrection Day. He wants us to strive to be full participants in what Jesus has for us in this life. And he tells us how to attain. I want you to look with me at three parts of the one thing that the Holy Spirit through Paul's pen wants us to do. Living with a single pursuit. First, there are some things we will have to leave behind us. We must leave what is behind us. Paul said in verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. The first step Paul took in his forward pursuit of Christ was a step backwards. He said, there are some things that in the past that have just got to leave there. I want to explore a couple of categories of things that we need to forget. We need to leave in the past. Let's talk about a blessed category. We know exactly what Paul was forgetting because he tells us earlier in the chapter, verse 4, if any man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I the more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the law, uh, uh, touching righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul took those things that formerly had been advantages. And Aaron did such a good job on touching on this. As a matter of fact, we're going to get to get out a little earlier because you did such a good job. I won't have to talk about it a whole lot. Those things that he used to brag about, those things that were points of pride, those things that he rested in and leaned on as advantages, he came to a point in his life where he said, it's worth nothing. And I'm telling you that if you're going to be useful in God's kingdom, there's going to have to be a time in your life where you realize there are things you are holding on to and there are things you are propping yourself up against and there are things that are important to you and things that you are grasping after and you're going I have to figure out that some of it needs to be relegated to the trash heap or if you're keeping with the King James James English, the septic tank of the past. There are things that I used to think that God can use me because of this. Stupid. The older I get, the more stuff I find that just doesn't mean a Paul took what were some of his greatest blessings. He was well educated. He was on his way up. He he had been in, he had sat under some of the premier teachers of the day, and we can hear it in some of his writings how he is so good at framing an argument. Paul takes his education, he takes his heritage, he looks at all of his blessings, or a lot of his blessings from the past. And he says, I'm forgetting about all of that stuff. 
I think there are some things we're not supposed to forget. I think there are things that God does us that are supposed to be like those pillars of stone in the riverbed of the Jordan. Reminders of what God has done for us. But by the same token, we can't hold on to anything, even the good things of God. If they're taking our focus off of Christ and hindering our pursuit of Him. Anything that's hindering you from living in this single pursuit of Christ, living in light of the day that you're going to meet Him face to face, must be relegated to the trash heap of the past. Talk about a blessed category of things that need to be forgiven. There's a broad category. Paul broadens his language in verse 13. He says, forgetting those things which are behind. Brother Jonathan and I have mentioned Dr. Kenneth Ridings uh, in our, some of our conversations this week. Dr. Kenneth Ridings was a stickler for certain things. Uh, when in, in our homiletics class, if somebody used the word things for a key word, he would rebuke sharply, <laughs> saying that you're being lazy. You're not putting enough thought in. It's too broad of a word. You need to be more specific. Well, I don't think Paul was being lazy <laughs> when he said the word things those things, I do think he was being intentionally broad. You see, it isn't just our past advantages that we need to forget. But there are some past burdens. There's past hurts. Past heartaches. Past misunderstandings, past sins, past failures. But they need to go in the septic tank of the past as well. If we are to pursue Christ, there are some things we just need to leave in the past. Here's the thing. The blessings of yesterday that helped get you to where you are today will hinder you from moving forward if you put your confidence in them. On the flip side of that, the burdens and failures of yesterday, even up to this moment of today, can't hold you back. Provided you confess and forsake them. I'm going to move on after I... Make this statement. May God give his people an extra helping to his ministers. A good case of holy amnesia about the past that we might live in light of the resurrection. First, there are some things to be left in the past. Secondly, we need to lean in to what is before us. Leave what is behind us. Lean into what is before us. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. With the past in the past, Paul homes in on and he begins to lean forward to the future. 
He wrote that he reaches forth unto those things which are before. Let's lean in with him. Take a closer look at what Paul meant by reaching forth. He, he's talking about uh, a, a couple of things. If y'all been listening for the last two and a half minutes, that's funny. I don't care if you're laughing or not. I know it's funny. When Paul wrote that he leaned forward or reached forth, he was speaking to us about, number one, exertion. Exertion. Some have translated that word reaching as straining. My daddy was, before he was a Coca-Cola man, he was a painter. And he used to tell me that if there's a place you can't quite reach, if you'll just hold your arm up there long enough, something happens. You can strain a little further than what you could before, but you, you got to work at it for just a minute till you can reach it. Paul's talking about straining. He's talking about exerting ourselves. The word reaching forth, it means to reach out or stretch out towards something as a goal, to some goal. According to A.T. Robertson, the picture is that of a runner leaning forward as he runs and even more as he gets closer to the finish line. Another word that Paul uses in verse 14 is the word press. I press toward the mark uh, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's close related to the word reaching forth it means to move quickly and energetically towards some objective Paul use of these words it's an athletic metaphor which brings to mind the straining muscles the clear focus and complete dedication of the runner in his race to the prize here's the message in the metaphor the Christian life is not passive Coming into the fullness of what God has for us in our relationship with Him and in our calling of service to Him, it takes effort. It takes exertion. It is work. And one of the problems I confess to you in my Christian life, and hear me on this, is a misapplication of the great truth of God's sovereignty. I have noticed a propensity... To have an attitude of Kesara Sarah. <laughs> what will be, will be. And not leaning into my pursuit of Christ, his calling on my life, and even the upward call at the resurrection. If we're going to apprehend that for which we were apprehended by Christ, we need to put in some work. And the closer we get to the end, the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the rapture, we should be straining, working, exerting ourselves, and increasing in our dedication to Him, and intensifying our pursuit of Him. Perhaps we can bring it into a sharper focus as we think about what else Paul meant when he talks about leaning forward. He talks about exertion. He talks about eagerness. He's not passive, neither is he complacent. He is still zealous. I'm afraid that something that's lacking 
among Christians and churches is zeal. We've lost the will to exert ourselves in our personal pursuit of Christ and our service to him because we have lost our zeal for him. The hope, the blessed hope that we have, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ should foster within us an expectation, an anticipation. It should foster within us an eagerness to meet him on that day and to know him more fully on this day. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. He wasn't sitting around waiting on his release or his death. He was incarcerated. And even though he was chained up and shut in, he's still in hot pursuit of the knowledge of Christ and the upward call. What a timely word for us. While his return is our blessed hope and we're supposed to live in anticipation of his appearing, we are not to be standing around waiting for it. No, we're supposed to be running, straining, reaching for the finish line. Remember what the angel said to the disciples as Jesus was taken up into heaven? You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus shall also return in like manner as you've seen him go. In other words, get out of here and get about the business of the Great Commission because he's coming back. You don't need to be standing around waiting on it. You need to be working. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote a whole letter to the church at Thessalonica on this issue. The writer of Hebrews addresses this in a different context. Tyler exhausted that verse yesterday. I'll, I'll uh, do a drive-by on it and we'll keep moving. On our faithfulness to our gatherings in the local church, he said, and so much more as you see the day approaching. I'll take a look at that verse from 30,000 feet. This is no time for us to be coasting. Waiting on Jesus to return. I remember uh, Ronald when I was playing football uh, in in high school and and you know they do the programs every year and they put everybody's stats on there I wish I could find one of those old programs I think I weighed 211 pounds those were the days <laughs> one of the stats they put in was the your time in the 40 yard dash yeah I don't want to see that one I remember when coach said everybody down to the track we're going to time y'all in the 40. Backs and receivers went first, and the linemen, we sat up there in the stands waiting on somebody to find a sundial for them to time us with. Notice, begin to notice something. The backs and receivers, they would take off, and by the time they hit about 20 yards, they were at full gate. Man, they were fast. One guy, Floyd Mathis. 
Man, he looked like he was galloping. He didn't look like he was going anywhere. He was running like a 4-5 or 4-4. Four, four. The dude was fast and big. But when he got about 5 to 10 yards out from where the other coach was standing with a stopwatch, they would slow down and coast. And I remember the backs and receivers coach, Coach Chastain, he come out in a Spurrier-esque moment, said a few things he shouldn't have said, and threw his clipboard on the track. <laughs> he said, quit coasting to the finish line. Run all the way through. Then you can coast. Church, hear me say, quit coasting to the finish line. Run all the way through to the end. Then there's peace. Then there's rest. Uh, press on until you hear his call. Press on till you hear the call to come home. Third part of the single pursuit. Leaving some things in the past. We're leaning in towards the future. We are learning from those around us. Paul begins to use community language in verses 15 and 16. He, he's spoken in the first person singular up to this point. And now he speaks second person plural. He changes pronouns. We hear a lot about pronouns today, don't we? And that's all I've got to say about that. But notice the change in Paul's pronouns. He moves from the pronoun I. The pronouns we and us in verses 15 and 16. I want to share a couple of observations with you about our learning from each other. To live with this single pursuit. Listen, there's a call. There's a call for us to learn. Let us therefore, verse 15, let us therefore, as many as be perfect or mature or complete, be thus minded. And then jump down to verse 16. We'll deal with the last part of verse 15 in a moment. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us collectively mind the same thing. The call is twofold, really. What Paul is doing here is having set the pattern for us uh, himself. He calls his original audience and he calls us to both follow his example and then to be an example to others. He's calling us to all be mature believers who are straining for the goal line of the return of Jesus and the resurrection of the saints. Did you know that being an example isn't just for your pastor? Your Sunday school teachers and deacons and other leaders in your church. No, it's for every believer. He's calling us all to be mature believers who are straining for the goal line. We'll look at the middle part of verse 15 in a moment. But in that portion of the verse, he, he mentions those who are not of the same mind to live in the single pursuit of Christ. He wants those who aren't there yet to have examples to follow. Those who aren't yet being examples, he wants them to have 
examples. The call, the challenge is for us to have the same attitude as Paul. Living in this single pursuit, running towards the goal line, coming into all he has for us in this life with an eye to the resurrection. The second part of the call is to not let up in our pursuit of, the, of Christ. Verse 16, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, what you already have, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Let me encourage you again, never relent in your pursuit of Christ and what he has saved you for, which is your service to him and ultimately a new creation at the resurrection. A fully new creation, <laughs> the resurrection. Second, we see a confidence. A confidence. There's a call to learn. There's a confidence. Listen to what Paul says in the middle of verse, or at the end of verse 15. And if anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Paul was confident that those who were lagging behind in the pursuit of Christ that they would be brought up to speed by God himself. How does God reveal such a deeply rooted issue in us? Something that we may not even be aware of. That we've let things distract us. Even good things. From living in single pursuit of Christ. Well primarily... Brother Aaron touched on it. No, he didn't touch on it. He, he preached about it. He does so in his word. This passage being one of them. We can look at this passage and see areas of our lives, and it might be the totality of our Christian life in moments and snapshots where we can say, no, that's not me at all. I'm grasping at other things. There's other prizes I'm straining towards. And we see it in this passage. That's the primary way. Is the Holy Spirit of God working through the Word of God, teaching us. Paul said, God will reveal it to you if you're not of the same attitude, of the same mind. Secondarily, he does so by the example of mature Christians in the community of faith who are straining, running, reaching, leaning in toward the prize of the upward calling of God. God wants to use you to be an example of a life lived in the single pursuit of Christ. The question we have to ask ourselves then is, am I living that life? Am I a good example of what it looks like to relentlessly eagerly strain for the mark of the prize of the upward calling of Christ. Paul wants us to join him in this singular pursuit. He wants us to have the singular pursuit, excuse me. He wants us to have the same mind. He doesn't want us to be scattered, divided, and double-minded. He doesn't want us to do many things. He wants us to do one thing, and that is to leave some things behind us. Lean in towards what is before us. 
And he wants us to run hard towards the finish line. He wants us all to be reaching, running, straining, and stretching to cross the finish line together. We are to look at examples of those who have their eyes on the prize and be the ones to which others look as an example. Paul wrote this letter to the local churches in the city of Philippi, which consisted of Christians that weren't vocational ministers for the most part. They worked their jobs, they raised their families, they paid their bills. They went about the common business of life. And it's as if Paul snaps his fingers at them and at us to get our attention. He tells us to run to the prize of knowing Christ in this life. Looking for the upward call. On Resurrection Day. The message then in summation is this. Our future as believers is far greater than our past. With all of its triumphs, tragedies, victories, losses, failures, and sins. What lies ahead is far greater than what's behind us or even what's going on around us. So let's forget about the past. Run forward. Lean Strain and stretch towards the finish line. I say again, may we be found running full speed. Every muscle strained. <laughs> Leaning to break the tape when he calls us home. I want to share this closing thought with you before we go. I mentioned uh, the uh, Monday night about how this sermon series kind of came about through a conversation with a co-worker the nature of my work is such that we we often have several things happening in different places at one time and there have been times not just me but my co-workers as well we've been doing one task when you get a call on the radio from the lab tech or, or from somebody in the control room uh, that something else needs to be done here or, or, or there, and there can be literally several things at one time demanding attention. And when we leave the task that we are on to take care of something else, we are prone to leave something undone and not even remember it until there's a problem. My co-worker and I were discussing how often this happens and how we know better. We know. We talk about it a lot. I need to remember and discipline myself to no matter what happens, finish what I am doing right now. Then go to the next thing. Focus on the task at hand. And here is what he said. He said, when we try to do two or three things at once, that's when we get in trouble. He didn't know the impact of what he had just said on my own heart. He was talking about chemicals. He was talking about flash tanks, storage tanks, reactors, and processes. But it hit me right in the heart. I began to have the thought that, man, I'm so scattered 
And I began to look back over my ministry as a pastor and think about all the things that I tried to do. And then I started thinking about how the really important things got left undone. And a lot of times I wouldn't even notice until there was a problem. Began to have the thought that I'm going to stand before the king one day. And I'm afraid that I might hear the king say, You did a lot of things. Maybe a couple of them were even good. But you left the most important task. The task that is always in front of you to do the other things. And that's where you got into trouble. The task in front of me, the task in front of you, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a lay preacher, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a deacon, whether you're an usher, whether you're just an attending a believer who attends uh, in church and you haven't found a place of service yet, listen, here is your first task. It's to know the excellency of Christ. To know, Aaron, not just about him as you said, but to know him. What if today is the moment that God is revealing to you that you've been, to quote Paul, otherwise minded? What if today God is encouraging you to press on in a single pursuit, not necessarily of ministry or service, Primarily, but a pursuit of Him. What if He's calling you to relegate some things to the septic tank of the past? And as Aaron pointed out, he, Paul also talks about suffering the loss. There were things he cut away from himself. There were some things that got stripped away from him. What if today is the day that God begins to pull things out of your life that you've got a tight grasp on in order that you may reach for him? What if we all let go of the past, leaned into all that God has for us in Christ with ultimately the resurrection of the dead and seeing him face to face in view? May he help us. To above all things, pursue him and the high calling of God. Brother Kevin.